Texas talking oh. What was that that you said? Texas talking oh. Gonna hoop up inside your head Texas talking Tell me who can you trust When Texas guys are Hi, this is State Representative-elect Diego Bernal When I'm not busy trying to convince my new colleagues that I'm not an intern or on someone's staff, I'm listening to the show. Now, here's your host, Emily Ramshaw. Thank you, Representative. This is Emily Ramshaw here with the Tribcast for the first week of March. I'm joined by CEO and Editor-in-Chief Evan Smith. Hey, Reeve. (laughs) Doesn't get old. No, it doesn't. I'm going to be saying that for 10 years. Executive Editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. And Reporter Jay Root, otherwise known as... The Golden Voice. All you're doing is making him... Like puffing him up. Don't oh, do that. Please. He doesn't he, need any help. Well, you know, some days he does need a little more help. He was a little blue when He's he came fragile. in this morning. Why? What, what happened? The weather is getting me down. I'm over it. Okay. All right. Speaking of uh, blue, let's switch to talking about green. <laughs> this, is my, this is my reversion God, of a transition. Um, all right. Let's start off by talking about two of my favorite things, State Representative David Simpson and Mary Jane. Love that guy. <laughs> His wife, Mary Jane? Is that <laughs> okay. her name? I thought her name was something else. <laughs> so what exactly – we had a, a Trib Talk column from David Simpson this week suggesting uh, what? A, a Christian explanation for what? God gave us weed. You know, it's just like the Willie said the same thing. Willie Nelson said, you know, if it's a weed, if you want it, take it. If you don't, leave it there. David Simpson said God gave us this and everything God gave us is good. And on the the sixth day. (laughs) (laughs) And on the sixth day, God created pot. Right at 420. He's got a a bill that would basically turn this into just another plant who would remove all of the marijuana laws on the books. and he basically says it, you know, it ought to, be, ought to be regulated the same way we regulate tomatoes and jalapeno peppers. Um, One has a lot more impact than the other. Yeah. I don't know. I jalapeno smoked, peppers are pretty I've never good. Smoked a tomato. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Look, there's there's a real policy issue here, as you know, that relates to criminal justice reform, and we're not uh, at the head of the line on this. A lot of other states have been thinking carefully about the implications of of decriminalizing or outright legalizing either medicinal or recreational marijuana. And the the criminal justice reform people will tell you that one way to deal with the overcrowding in prisons or to deal with the inequity of sentencing laws is to treat this differently than we've been treating it hist- historically. There was a, a joke on Saturday Night Live on the news thing this weekend. Michael Che, the weekend newscaster, update. said, you know, something about, you know, some states said, oh, you know, that marijuana laws, marijuana should be legalized. It's less dangerous than alcohol. And he said, really said a million black guys in jail? We have a bunch of people in jail right now who are um, who are serving sentences over this issue. And as a pure matter of criminal justice reform, um, this is a legitimate topic for discussion in in the legislature. He may be an unlikely advocate, or seemingly an unlikely advocate, well, but, he, but he's not. That's the whole but, thing. But the reality is, that, is his, is that, yeah, his you know, political affect has been the, consistent. The fact with that this. that it's coming from David Simpson is actually interesting because it shows that this is not really this doesn't cut along the same lines that you might expect. I mean, we have right. the Texas Public Policy Foundation 
that is arguing for some level of decriminalization. Yeah, uh, I mean, to criminal save justice. Money, too. Criminal justice reform really is is one of my favorite issues to look at in the legislature because a lot of people are on the same page on it that you know wouldn't traditionally be. People who don't agree on anything else agree that we have too many people in prison. Agree that we're you know criminalizing things that you know don't need to spend that much time in prison for, and that we're spending a ridiculous amount of money you know incarcerating all these people. So it's it's fascinating that this. Is is the one issue where basically everybody agrees to agree. The number of Texans that oppose uh, legalization of marijuana for any reason is really pretty small. It's about one one out of five. Right. Um, there's you know the biggest the biggest group of support is medical marijuana, and then you know there are, there are plenty of Texans. I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but it was in our latest poll. Uh, plenty of Texans say you know small amounts for personal use would be okay, and there's another you know ten or fifteen percent. I think it's fifteen percent. Who said any amount right. any time? You know, I got a bail in the, uh, in the back of my. I, I want to come back to Simpson. You know, you made a point that it's interesting that it's Simpson, and I will grant you it's consistent with his his history of flying by his own set of coordinates politically. That that has been David Simpson's brand. David Simpson does what David Simpson thinks is right. David Simpson does not follow fashion. He doesn't follow ideological favor. He doesn't necessarily side with his party blindly. He does what he thinks is is right, and I think that's interesting. And it's one of the reasons that we're paying attention. You know, if State Representative Jeff Spicoli, you know, had introduced this bill, if it had been sort of a traditional, like you know, long-haired hippie who had done this, I think that's a different that's a different conversation. But here's a very conservative guy from Longview. And that makes it not only a local story but a national story. New York Times was all over this. The fact that Simpson had filed it. Um, well, so his his argument, at least you know, in his column, was not necessarily the you know the fiscal argument that you're hearing the Texas Public Policy Foundation. I mean, I think his line was you know that that wine and feasting were considered you know blessings from God. <laughs> so, so by that reasoning, you know, it was a very gentle way of saying you know this law is pretty hypocritical. I thought it was yep. interesting. It was saying, you know, we allow all of this. We don't allow this. What's up with that? What, what do you think about Simpson's influence in the building? So do, does he get, in a literal sense, on this legislation a hearing? Do his colleagues take the fact that he did this seriously? Well, there, you know, there's been a push from outside this session to legalize marijuana at least for medical use. And you know, there's some conversation about it. I think we're probably going to have a committee, a day of committee mm-hmm. hearings on several bills that are out there that would legalize it for medical use. This bill would legalize it for anything. I don't think I think that's probably a non-starter, but it is a conversation starter. I don't think it'll become law. I, I think we're going to get a day of, of hearings. It'll on be it. on April 20th. <laughs> right, and they'll have to provide Doritos for people testifying. <laughs> right, brownies. Cool, right. <laughs> I think David Simpson also is is one of those people who is a, typically a little bit ahead of his time. I mean, maybe he's he also seems a little nutty, but in, you know, he was against uh, corporate welfare. He was one of the most. Um, real, the loudest voices against corporate wealth, so-called corporate welfare, tax subsidies, and all of that, and now that's really uh, in the vanguard of of, of ideas. And it, it wasn't when he started talking about it. I mean, when he was talking about it, Perry was like, "Oh, you know what? Hush. Thank you very much for your little opinion. Go away now." And now you got Bob Hall and Connie Burton and all these other new uh, lawmakers who are coming in and saying, "You know what? We don't like corporate welfare at all." To a certain extent, even Greg. Abbott, you know, he's killing right. a lot of those funds. Um, 
you know, they're um, getting getting rid of everything but the closing fund. I think, right. Is what he's proposed. Right. You know, he, last he, session, I mean, I was just going to say last session, he really seemed sort of like a bomb thrower. He was in the in the middle of some of the biggest fights, you know, derailing things. I mean, are we seeing that kind of David Simpson this session or is he sort of now more of a grown up this I session? I don't think he's changed. I think he's just, you know, he's not afraid, you know, like most of the, you know, a large number of these people are, are afraid of their own shadows. And he's, he's not. He's not afraid, really. you know, to say what he thinks. But and I don't. I don't think he's Jonathan Stickland, say. I don't think he's apt to get up at the back mic well, and mess with the existing order using the rule book or using, you know, the sort of political winds blowing to, to upturn, you know. Well, he's sort of a. I, I, th- I think he goes at this a different way than yeah. some of the traditional bomb throwers, to Emily's point. And he's, he's sort of a Ron Paul, right. you know. He has right. become sort of a Ron Paul. And I, well, he likes Ron Paul, and he, yeah. And I don't, th- I mean, Stickland. It, I, I really do think that last session, um, you know, he did play more of a role as sort of the Stickland figure. But I think this year he's being replaced by, you know, somebody like Stickland. I, I think you're, I think you're still going to see him at the back line. I, I think there's still some grenades in there. But I, I want to also point out that his pedigree is also interesting, too. So Vanderbilt University graduate, his dad – I believe was CEO of Republic Oil. Is that right? His 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 he's got a really interesting family background. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got an interesting educational background. He gets to this in a really interesting way, I think, to the place that he occupies. And so, look, um, in a session in which we've had very serious topics discussed and fought over so far, there was a little bit of levity to this, but I also think it's, it's on some level very serious. I think it's serious too, and I, I mean, I think that the fact that he, you know, took the time to sort of write this piece, saying you know, this is that he stuck his neck out on this issue, is just fascinating to me. It's like there's nothing he won't touch. So. Well, and you know, it's an interesting conversation. So, what if they did decriminalize all this stuff? What if they did erase those laws? What would be the effect? I mean, you go to criminal justice, you go to, you know, all of a sudden you have, you know, forty percent vacancy in their prisons. <laughs> right, and <laughs> you know, also, I don't know what I mean, it is, but you know, it, nationally, it's, it's this an interesting it's conversation. Still be on the books, right? Yeah. So, um, all right, switching gears, Jay had a really interesting story at the end of last week uh, where conservative Ag Commissioner Sid Miller basically came out and said, you know, I've inherited a mess at my agency. Everything's falling to hell. <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit about what's going on there. Well, the, the Department of Agriculture has really gotten a lot of – has been – has seen their budget get cut quite a lot. It got cut under Combs, and then it got cut cut 30% in 2011 under Todd Staples. And, of course, both of them went on to other things. Um, and there wasn't a whole lot of talk about uh, were they able to do their mission when they were in office. Um, and so here comes Sid Miller, who actually apparently wants to be ag commissioner, um, and not necessarily something else right away. Um, and the Department of Agriculture has quite a lot of consumer protection oversight, um, which we all know that and knew that, I guess, instinctively, but have kind of forgotten about it because it hasn't been stressed. Everything like checking taxi meters or making sure the gas pump is really giving you what it says it is. Right. Weights and measures, which somebody pointed out on Facebook, and honestly, I didn't know this, but this go, this is something that goes back to, like, the Greeks. Um, because, obviously, if you have a marketplace and, you know, somebody wants to buy some grain or whatever, if the scale is, is tipped right. one way to, to sort of help out the merchant – then you know you can rip people off and that's he he said that's exactly what is happening is that people are getting ripped off they have a backlog of about 2000 cases of uh, people who have actually where an inspector has gone out 
and written up some kind of violation, and they haven't been able to get to it. They haven't been able to process it because they don't have enough budget. They don't have enough bandwidth to take care of all of this. And so he said that, like, right now, it's not, it's not you know, people might get screwed. He said people literally are getting screwed. You know, literally? Not literally, but people are literally getting <laughs> ripped mean, off. They're literally, Miller is really yeah, no, some interesting No, but they're literally getting ripped off right now. You know, and not okay. not some. But let me stop imagination. You here and ask a question. Let's just re- go back in time about one month to Sid Miller's first official action as ag commissioner, which was hey cupcake, hey cupcake, yeah. which was making sure that it was legal for kids to bring cupcakes to school on their birthday. This was an official act, even though this official act had already taken place, and actually it was already on the books that kids could bring cupcakes to school. So, do we trust him entirely that this agency isn't as big of a mess as he says it is? Well, you know, it's it's easy to sort of poke fun at Sid Miller. I mean, he wears a cowboy hat and, um, uh, you know, and, and some let, let's face it, some of the color has drained out of state government now that Jerry Patterson's gone, now that Rick Perry is gone. So he's occupying kind of two lanes right now. He's occupying that sort of swagger lane that, that we haven't, we don't really have the right swagger now. swagger lane. And the other one, though, is consumer protection. You know, the, the sort of beat up on Obama lane, that's, t- I mean, that is really crowded with Republican office holders. But right. to have a Republican office holder like wearing a Stetson saying that consumers are getting screwed, like that stands Jim, out. Jim Hightower. Yeah, it's a very good point. Jim Hightower, that, you know, populism. Mm-hmm. And and he really actually has uh, within his agency an unbelievable mandate to talk about these kinds of things. And um, we went back and, and Nina uh, also reported on this. Satija, reporter. Uh, with us with me um and we went back and looked at the uh senate hearing and paul bettencourt said that he had gotten you know to use sid miller's terminology screwed at the gas pump um and so so basically people can't be at all sure that when they buy a gallon of gas they're getting about they're getting a gallon of gas but of course the problem becomes larger and more uh, of a concern for the entire state the next day after your Sid Miller story, when you and Nina collaborate on this larger piece about facilities in disrepair, wear and tear and neglect and all that. Right. Holes plugged with toilet right. paper. Rats and bats and people having to put quilts up at the controller's office so they don't have to hear their colleagues go into the bathroom, uh. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, it, it, exactly. And, and so then it gets beyond Sid Miller and you, you have Ken Paxton. Uh, super conservative guy who voted for all these budget cuts saying that water's leaking on his servers uh, in the AG's office. And uh, Glenn Hager uh, patching buildings with uh, toilet paper. Um, and uh, and the list goes on and on. The list goes on. Right. Horrible in, in stuff. A t- in a terrible s- state. And when you think about it, I'm sorry for the employees of the controller's office and the AG's office, but I'm particularly sorry for the kids at the state school who are having to deal with, you know, really barbaric living conditions right. that, are the, it, that are the byproduct in part at least of some combination of budget cuts and deferred maintenance. and Right. And we were able to verify something that, that I had heard and couldn't believe. I thought this, there's no way this can be true, that their fire hazard situation is so bad at the Texas School for the Deaf that the fire marshal came in and said, we're shutting you down. And the Texas Facilities Commission came and said, no, 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 wait a minute. We can take care of this. We're going to dispatch somebody 24-7 to walk the walk 
walk the buildings where we don't have fire alarm protection to become just a human, human fire, fire alarm fire detector and he walks through the buildings he says no this building is not on fire they do that 24 7 right now for that that's a great job i mean they're starting to get to stuff that people actually care about i mean the, the thing sid miller has here you know i don't know what he's going to do with it but the thing sid miller is onto here is his is one of the offices and there's not a lot of them in state government that actually deals with stuff normal people deal with Consu- you know consumer facing you know the Betancourt thing i don't remember the exact numbers but he said he put like 15 gallons of gas in a 10 gallon tank because the because the thing was miscalibrated he's paying for five gallons of gas he didn't get um yeah. i mean these are things that people actually right. care about and where this ties back around to the conversation that is happening on this very day at the capitol is on the one hand we have these needs that are very clearly outlined in jay's and nina's story these facilities that are in terrible need of repair and everything else. On the other hand, we have all this money in the budget that we're going to allocate to tax relief. And there are some people who are saying, wait a minute, before we start turning money back over to consumers, maybe we ought to think about taking some of this money that seems so freely available and deploy it to solve some of the problems that Jay's identified. I mean, do we just not know these problems were this bad this before? Or is this a natural trend when you have a whole bunch of turnover in state government? Suddenly new guys in the building are going to notice things that people didn't notice before? Or, you know, is right. this a, a holdover from, from the Perry era of, of budget cuts? I mean, what is the root of this? I think if you are in tight control of the executive branch – the executive branch only reports out what you want it to report right. out. And if you've been the governor for 14 years and everybody, including to some extent other elected officials, feels like they have to go by your office to get a high sign before they say anything out loud, you know, a lot of the stuff doesn't get out. And in a normal situation, which we're suddenly back in, all of these agencies are free to say, you know, hey, there's problems here. There, there was this famous thing. You probably covered it, Emily. There was this famous thing a few years ago when Eduardo Sanchez, who was then the uh, head of the Department of Health and Human Service, uh, head of uh, Health State Services, was in front of a committee, and somebody said, "What if we cut this budget?" And he said, "People will die." Right. And and the anvils started landing mm-hmm. on his head from the governor's office almost immediately. You can't say that. And he said, "Well, people will die if we cut this." What do you want me to say? Um, you know, these things actually are not just piles of numbers and and words. These things actually matter. I think you're exactly right. There's a a lot of pent-up demand for fixing things that, you know, I think under the Perry era, uh, you know, not blaming any one person or whatever. It's just that, like you said, you kind of – I mean, I I agree completely with what you said was that – you kind of had to get the okay to right. say we need more, we need this, and and you know, and we, there were very deep cuts in 2011 that we haven't reversed. So, what do you can you quantify the amount of money that would be necessary to make all this problem go away? You, no. Yes, you, Jay, right now. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's a very good question because I, I think there's a lot that we don't know. Um, I did hear that there were 25 billion dollars in exceptional items that were requested from the various agencies. What I haven't been, and I got that 25 billion. Yeah, 25 oh, billion. I'm, I'm, so, so 25. Billion to take care of it. No, we, but we left that in our other pants. No, right? but We're obviously right. not every exceptional item is going to be funded, and not a, not all of them, I'm sure, should be. But and and I haven't been able to put that in context yet. We're trying to figure right. out how to put that in context. So I, I think there's a lot that we don't know at this point. But there was- Kevin Eltipes talked a little bit about this, and he says that the deferred maintenance 
the best estimate he's been able to get, he's a senator from Tyler, uh, best estimate he's been able to get on deferred maintenance, like at the state school, like at the mm-hmm. controller's office, that right. stuff, is between one and one and a half billion dollars. Well, um, hell, they have that money. Well, this is this is what's interesting. You know, this is sort of the LTIF push that, you know, there's some other people doing it. Seliger's signed on. Um, I think Kirk Watson Royce West was, was on, on board. Um, John Whitmire was on board. You know, there's a push to say, you know, look, the state is flush right now. If you ignored for a moment the spending cap that the legislature has on it, there's $6 billion beyond what they're willing to spend that they have available. Yep. And some of the L-types are saying, okay, so we have some things we need to do. There's $7.5 billion in pension liabilities that we ought to cover, and we have the money to do that. There's this $1 to $1.5 billion in deferred maintenance. There's a lot of money that uh, we could spend. We could bring down some of our debt. They've announced, they're announcing mm-hmm. some of that today as we record this. Um, you know, there are a lot of things that we could do. And then we still have some money for tax cuts. And he's saying, you know, the tax cuts ought to follow right. that. And there is a group of them over there scratching their heads and trying to figure out how to get a right. very conservative legislature to blink their way through a spending cap one time and do a bunch of one-time expenditures. Well, this is the point. On this on this uh, refurbishing of these facilities, if it isn't a one-time expense that seems to be – the definition of a rainy day fund worthy withdrawal. I don't know what is. It's not an ongoing deal. It's a one-time deal. Well, it's always an ongoing deal. Well, I mean, maintenance uh, is an ongoing deal. Yeah, te- Text has this great You're not going to have to spend the same billion and a half next year to fix what you fixed this year. But you're going to have to spend something. something. Text has this great number that it costs about $4 billion to maintain Just the maintain current it. level right. of congestion. I love that phrase. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Look, well, look, Dan Patrick said you to me... You like your traffic, Dan, you can your traffic. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, you, you think this sucks just the right amount. Dan Patrick said to me at the end of January, we're not going to get anywhere near the spending cap. He's planning on the budget, from his perspective, based on what he told me, being below the spending cap. So there may be room between... Well, he didn't vote for it last time either. Right. <laughs> there may be room between where they end up and even the spending cap without having to dip into the rainy day fund. The thing is, right? so tax cuts have become the you know topic du jour. As Ross wrote in a very good column today, nothing is going to happen before tax cuts happen. So if you have any desire for anything in, in the budget, particularly in the Senate, you better get in line behind tax cuts. Yeah, so there's a certain amount of room between what they proposed in their base budgets and the spending cap. And you know, so the race this is a this is a typical thing. This happens in every legislature. The race is basically if you need money, you have to grab at the money that's between the yep. spending cap and what's in the base budgets. And the first grabber and the most successful grabber so far, you know, because they framed it really well, is four to four and a half billion dollars in tax cuts, property tax cuts, business franchise tax cuts, um, whatever else they can think of. A, a couple of those are stumbling a little bit. There's some concern over the property tax cut. Because you could spend $3.5 billion on a property tax cut. Everybody gets an average of about $220. So it's about 20 bucks a month. It's it's hard for voters to to even see that, right. assuming their property values don't change and their tax rates don't go up. Right. Right. And, and it's hard, you know, and this is important here, it's hard for politicians to get credit for something the voters can't even see. Which is really, honestly, what they want when we're talking about this, is that, that the Republican lawmakers who are pushing these tax cuts want a tax cut that people are going to notice. Right. So here's a headline that just came over as we're sitting here. Senate leadership proposes exempting tax relief from counting toward the spending cap. Right. Right. So so what you would do here is you would say, mm-hmm. okay, so this rush for money 
between the base budget and the spending cap is now about everything except for tax cuts. And the tax cuts come out of that $6 billion that's floating up above it. Isn't this the same group of people who campaigned against accounting tricks? Yeah, but that's, you know... What happened to the... Van Taylor wrote a Tribune, uh, a Trib Talk piece with some of his other members about don't bust the spending cap. Well, this is one of those weird things in in in, in government Isn't finance. this busting it, the spending cap? Yes. Yeah. It is busting. Well, let's call then. Let's, well, let's agree you can, to call that that. You, the, you can call it Fred if you want. It doesn't but, matter. But, but I'm amazed that this is the, this is the response is we're going to bust the spending no, cap? They're, I mean, they're, they're sort of railing against this idea in government accounting that, you know, a, a tax cut is somehow counts as spending. They think that's crazy. And, you know, on some level that is kind of crazy. But when the Senate but, released its base budget, they put the $4 billion as a matter of accounting, in there as is, if they counted it as it spending. It is spending. So they're saying, you know, okay, so this is spending as a matter of accounting. Right. But as a matter of just pure understanding of what we do, you know, this probably doesn't count as part of the state budget. So they're going to drain $4 billion or more from the rainy day fund in the name of, of tax not cuts. not necessarily in the rainy day fund. This is the excess of state revenue over – State spending. It's is not. The, it's the, not. This is, we're not tapping the rainy day. The fund. difference between the one oh the one oh seven and the one thirteen is six. What is that six? That's revenue coming in. Right. It's not rainy day money. So where's that money going to go? Well, it sounds like it might go to tax relief. But what, where would where would the money go otherwise? Uh, it would just stay in accounts. Some of it would go into the rainy day fund. Some of it would stay in unexpended balances. Um, so then, really, the spending cap is BS. Only if they vote for it. Only if they vote to go through it. You can vote to blow through the spending cap. But, but God, there was such a push before the session. Don't blow through the spending well, cap. Well, that's one voice in the Republican Party, and, and it's not everybody over there. They, you know, most of those people want to cons- you know, restrain themselves a little bit. But you know, it's, a, it's always a question of um, this or that. So how, we can keep the spending cap or you can have tax relief. What do you want to do? I mean, how big of a divide is this going to create within the Republican Party? Obviously, some of the loudest voices so far saying, wait, 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 we're moving too fast on this have actually been Republicans. They'll get some activists to go and say this is fine and then we'll all be OK with it. So, there will be some people who say they're not fine with it. But as right. long as there are enough activists on your side, you know, I think the I think argument against it will this. probably be that you're holding tax cuts hostage to all the high spending government, blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Right? Yep. Which isn't necessarily wrong, but I don't know if it'll catch. Mm-hmm. All right. And uh, our last few minutes here. Evan, can you give us an update on the UT president search? Well, we, as we sit here, there's a meeting going on uh, uh, at the system, the nine reasons for meeting, presumably with the chancellor and others, to talk through the finalists who have not been formally and officially confirmed, but background sources have confirmed to us, at least, that there are three remaining Candidates, the president of UT Dallas, David Daniel, the provost of the University of Texas at Austin, Greg Fenvis, and a man named Hamilton. I think Andrew Hamilton. Reeve? Oh. Reeve Ham- <laughs> That's where he's going. Yeah, that's it, right. <laughs> Uh, that may be a T-squared post. Um, uh, re, uh, Andrew Hamilton, who is the uh, you know a top at- official at the University of Oxford in England. Um, and has worked at a bunch of American universities. Right. Um, you know, there are complications in every candidacy based on the sources we've talked to. Uh, you know, on the Fenvis side, some will say and have said that they're concerned that anybody associated with the current administration at the University of Texas at Austin is tainted by virtue of having been so. That is, anybody who has Bill Powers' musk on them is disqualified. Um, well, that took a blue turn. There, well, no. Musk, what's wrong with Musk? Um, there's, a concern about, there's a concern about the fellow from England being a bit of a fish out of water and possibly costing the, the, university, the University of Texas... 
uh, really? That's more, your, really? <laughs> more money. Reeves' accents were terrible also. Um, uh, costing the University of Texas potentially more money than it was inclined to spend on the presidency, although there's some discussion of whether they're willing to spend as much as it takes to get a great person. And, you know, Daniel is, you know, at various, yeah, like half as much as a basketball coach. Maybe? Dar- Daniel has been at various times, you know, thought to be a front runner and then thought to be not in it and then thought to be in it and thought to be not. I think it's really interesting that we have these three. And there doesn't seem to be, as was the case with Texas A&M a couple of weeks ago, a consensus choice. They're going to have one finalist and that's it. I think that people going into this meeting have been saying privately, we don't really know what's going to happen. It's going to go down to the wire. The chancellor's recommendation is going to carry a lot of weight. That has been said to us by a bunch of different people, and we'll see. Meanwhile, the conservative group Empower Texans is sending out some robocalls uh, that we listened to regarding the uh, report on UT Austin admissions. Evan, did you listen to that yesterday? I did listen to it. It was Tony McDonald, who's general counsel of Empower Texans, is himself a UT alumnus, as he says in the robocall. And what they're saying is basically we're not satisfied with the Kroll report and the admissions matter being concluded. We think there needs to be pressure on lawmakers from their constituents, lawmakers who may have themselves requested special treatment for people they knew for their own constituents. Uh, This is not an issue that is going away, or at least if the grassroots conservatives who are pressing it now have anything to say about it, it's not going away. And I frankly think that some of the people on the Board of Regents who have been dissatisfied with the answers they've gotten from the current UT Austin administration I think from their perspective, this issue is not over and that to the degree that more can be done to lock down the process, it should be done. And that there's, you know, it was a lot, it was amazing to a lot of people that the Kroll report came out and only a couple hours later before Bill Powers had even commented publicly on it, that um, Bill McRaven, the chancellor of the UT system, had said, there's nothing in here that I yeah, see nothing worth, to see here, nothing please. to see here. We're not going to punish anybody. Now, they, he appointed, subsequently appointed a committee of former UT system administrators and, and presidents and so on uh, to uh, sort of look at the recommendations from the Kroll report or to look at the byproduct of the Kroll report. I don't think he said nothing to see here. I think he, no, I, no. What I, he said was we're not going to. He said we're not going to punish. He said we're not going to. We're not going to fire anybody. But they've here. already agreed to leave. Right. I guess, but I but I guess the thing is I'm not going to I'm not going to kill that guy who's on the that an, in hospice that, over there. That answer to the report by McRaven and the general sense that having gone through the process of having the Kroll report. Produced, yeah. we're now on the other side of it. Yeah, it was immediate. The, right. the the people who are angry about this are still angry, and the people who are angry about it have tried to play the the conservative activists who have you know are trying to play basically in Abbott's choices for the the mm. regents. Have they weighed in at all on you know who the next UT Austin president should be? Well, uh, rather than answer that question, let me say a word about the the process of of hearing these nominees. Those nominees were roughed up. In, uh, there's no question about that uh, before the nominations mm-hmm. committee, the three, uh, Steve Hicks, Sarah Martinez-Tucker, and David Well, Beck. that's a rough nominations committee. I mean, you know, for the, for them, for, for their nomination. Right, right. And, and so was Carlos Cascos was roughed up by Senator Birdwell, which made me wonder. Secretary is, of State. Right. Is, is, yeah, he's is, been sworn in now. Right. He's, he's, right. He's, but is Greg Abbott going to stand up for his nominees if they get in trouble? Will he really go to the mat? I think this is, as we and others have said, the first visit point of contention between Abbott and Patrick or Abbott and the Senate. Right. Well, and I think he is standing up for me. His chief of staff sat through the UT Regents um, nominations thing. Um, you know, they're they're on top of it. I, um, I don't know that they got the result they wanted. I think the you question know. is not resolved as to whether these nominees get through. Really? 
Don't now, you? See, I mean, no, don't no, you again, think? That, that's what I'm saying. Okay, so I, I, I don't, don't think it's a certainty based right. on what we saw that this committee votes I, to pass these guys. Well, through. well the way they did with A and N, didn't they, didn't they? They heard him and then they like you know the next week they. I realize these right. are diff- totally different circumstances, right. but. Are, are they going to not just like quietly sort of, okay, we've heard you, we've roughed you up, now you're going to go the, through? That's the, what the, the scuttle, my dad is telling me. The scuttlebutt is that they're not going to confirm these regents until the existing regents have picked a president for UT Austin. Okay. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd be surprised if they busted anybody. If they want to start off a new governor with busts, I think this yeah, is I'm not saying be... that they're not going to get through, but I'm not yeah. saying that the skids are greased either. Mm-hmm. I think that this is going to be a little bit of a bumpier path. Right. Right. That's All right. Well, if you would like to be the next UT Austin president, you can send your resume. <laughs> you don't have to, a lot of time. Right. right. To Tribcast at TexasTribune.org. Uh, we'd like to thank Shiny Ribs, as always, for doing our music. And on behalf of Evan, Ross, Jay, and our producer, Todd, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. Scratch it a little bit, it's all pork and corn. Doesn't matter where you are.